Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Mac and Jack Sports Show, our Saturday debate show, as we start your day off here at Northeast Streaming Sports, Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-host, Hall of Fame legendary boxing writer Jack Hirsch, and our special guest host that joins us almost every Saturday, Dr. Paul Semendinger, from the show and the blog, starts spreading the news. Uh, we're here bringing you a sports breakfast live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. So good morning, uh, Doctor. I haven't got to uh, ask you how your Thanksgiving day was yet. How did it go over there with all that? It turkey? was great. Phenomenal. Had the whole family here, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, we were talking before the show a little bit, and it's got to be my favorite holiday. I said this yesterday, too, where really the tradition of Thanksgiving has really not folded under the pressure of modern day society, if you will, where, you know, things are turned around and celebrated differently than they were in the past. So I really enjoy Thanksgiving, getting together, eating with the family and then being part of the family and, and getting to see people again and enjoying uh, sitting down and actually having a dinner with your family. again. Very, very rare today. Uh, so, folks, we got a lot of hot topics coming up today. A little bit of news I'll give you before we start the debate show. Uh, in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns shut down the Knicks offense. The Spurs beat up the Celtics. In the NHL, the Flyers, I mean, sorry, the Rangers win. The Flyers, Devils, and the Islanders lose again. And uh, a little bit of a side note at the Dallas game where we were watching a great uh, Thursday day game. A female brawl breaks out of the concession stand over nachos where the customer actually went over the counter and they had to break it up. So, you know, if you don't get the nachos right, guys, I guess there's there's hell to face. So uh, just another thing. <laughs> Let me tell you, Mac, it might seem funny you hear the word nachos, but I am sick of the spectator fighting. You fight in the stadium, you should be banned, you know, if not for like 10 years or something. There should be a no-nonsense rule. People should be able to go to the games. They should be able to bring their family, their kids, mm -hmm. without any concern about crowd behavior. I would have just about zero tolerance if anyone's getting into a fight. It's one thing if someone's defending themselves if they're getting attacked, but these fans who get into it and start fighting and other people get caught in the middle, the, the team should have zero tolerance and should come down extremely hard on them as far as not admitting them in the future. No, I agree with that. I mean, there's been a lot of fan fighting going on in, in all sports lately. I don't know uh, why it's it's risen a little bit, but, you know, I, I don't know. It's maybe you could always blame society, but I, I guess people uh, in these events get pumped up and sometimes aggravated. And uh, to me, them people should stay home where they can yell at the TV instead of uh, causing trouble. Jack, you brought up a great point that I want you to bring up about the Mets. They had a big signing. Yeah, the Mets signed several players, but I think the centerpiece was Starling Marte, a center fielder, who a number of teams were interested in. There's even a little talk of the Yankees being interested in him. And he, you know, he went from Miami to open last year, had a solid year. Again, excellent defensively, decent hitter, type of guy you want on your team. But the question is, are you willing to pay that type of money that he was asking for? And Steve Cohn did pay him 78 million for four years. 
Okay, I mean, that is big money. That's $19.5 million a year. Is he worth being close to a $20 million a year ball player? I personally don't think so. But if you want a guy bad enough, like the Mets wanted Marte, they're willing to go a few million dollars a year over the top. And the Mets fans should be thankful they have an owner who's going to go the extra mile. Unlike the Lindor contract that I thought was a disaster for the Mets, I said in the beginning, this contract, even though they overpaid, I don't think is as horrible a contract because Marty's going to help them. And clearly the Mets need to needed to do something, okay? Last year was a colossal disappointment, the way they collapsed the last two months of the season. And there's going to be more activity coming too. It's going to be fun to see where the pieces fall, which players go to which team. Uh, the Mets try wanted Stephen Matz back. So I guess it was in the news that Steve Cohn was ripping into Matz's agent. So I, I kind of like how combative, you know, uh, Steve Cohn is. And I'll give him credit for this. When the Mets were falling apart last year, he didn't sell out the team publicly. He didn't criticize you know, the players, the front office publicly, you know, what he did behind the scenes is his business. But the point is he didn't get overly involved to the point where he was embarrassing other people. So there you go, folks. The Mets pick up a center fielder. The Yanks definitely need one. We'll see if anything happens with that. We got um, Escobar, too, from the Brewers, you know, good. And Mark Canna from the A's. Right. Well, that's signing. I don't know how much that'll help. That sounds like a Yankee signing, you know, picking up an extra guy. But, yeah, but that's good. That's a good point, Doc. They're adding a lot of depth, you know. To you know, team. a couple of weeks ago, we asked, is Steve uh, Cohen's honeymoon over? And, and uh, you know, I think we, we were basically all agreeing that it wasn't a great year. But... Um, all you need is a couple of big signings and everybody's going to get excited about the Mets again. And, and he just did that. And if you look on Twitter, there's a lot of pictures of uh, Brian Cashman, who's, you know, doing one of those sleep outs to raise awareness for the homeless, which is noble and great, but they're using that as a, as a meme to say like, while the Mets are signing all these players, the Yankees are asleep at the wheel type of thing. And, and you know, the Yankees, the Yankees haven't done much or really anything this, this winter yet. So it'll be interesting to see how the Yankees respond, if the Yankees respond, and if the Yankees get anybody. But, you know, the thing I like about Steve Cohen is he's he goes out there and he's doing what he can to make the Mets good. And he just signed a good GM in Billy Epler. So um, after a lot of people said no, they, they, they did bring in a, a quality baseball mind. So the Mets are going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to see. And, and I've said this a lot. If the Mets get really good, it could force the Yankees to take this all a little bit more seriously. Guys, you know, I was watching your show last week when I was in Las Vegas. I enjoyed it. Not the whole show. You know, I had to get down to breakfast at the three-hour time difference. But you guys were talking about Clint Frazier, and it was great stuff. You guys were spot on, as good as could be. I didn't hear you talk about Tyler Wade. To me, that's the more important loss. I can't see for the life of me how the Yankees could have moved on from Tyler Wade. He was valuable as a, you know, he gave them versatility. We could be a pinch runner. He played different positions. I mean, that, I was shocked when the Yankees moved on from Tyler Wade. Not so much Clint Frazier. I could kind of understand that. But the Tyler Wade, to move on from him, 
the Yankees must have some great players in the minor leagues if they had to mm. let go away to clear up that spot because it made no sense to me at all. But some of the guys they saved, like Chris Gittens, uh, he's sort of a Luke Voigt type of player, big right-handed home run hitting, not great fielding first baseman type, right? So yeah, you got the it, real thing in Luke Voigt, though. So you don't have for the time for a couple of years more if you want to keep him. But let's see. You know, the Yankees might shock us and make a big. Well, that that was the argument with Tyler Wade. Like you wouldn't get rid of him unless you had something in the works. So let's see if the Yankees yeah. have something in the works. Yeah. Well, we shall see what we shall see. But people, right now, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Anything you can be, I can be greater. Sooner or later, I'm greater than you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, well, I am. Here we go, folks. We start off our debate show here now uh, as we debate some of the biggest topics in sports. Right now, our first topic has to do with the New York Giants. Of course, we know New York Giants have been having abysmal seasons for the last uh, uh, for forever, it seems like, but at least for the last few years. Um, and they hired a whole new staff a couple of years ago, included head coach Joe Judge, and brought in a lot of former head coaches, former uh, uh, coaches that Joe Judge had familiarity with, except one, and that was Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett, of course, the former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, former offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, a quarterback for both the Giants and the Cowboys. So... He kind of came in. Uh, we don't know if Joe Judge really wanted him or whether it's a front office, but he came in to become the new offensive coordinator to fix the Giants' offense. And they have just released him within the last week uh, to, uh, you know, kind of say it's his fault the offense isn't playing well. And the question this topic is covering is Jason Garrett, a scapegoat for the Giants' offensive woes or their problems? Jack, you're up first. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't go both ways on this, quite honestly. But I think, yeah, Jason Garrett has been a scapegoat being let go. Not that Jason Garrett has done a good job, but Joe Judge is the head coach. He's been with Jason Garrett a year and a half. He should be overseeing whatever Jason Garrett is doing. He should be meeting with him each week, knowing what the game plan is exactly what plays Jason Garrett was going to be running for the offense. But Joe Judge is acting like he's surprised, saying, oh, the team has no imagination on offense. And when you're the head coach, I mean, really the buck stops with you. I mean, even though you oversee what all your other coaches are doing, I mean, you should be involved in the game plan. You should be sitting in on the meetings. You should know exactly what they're going to be doing on game day. And if they don't do what they said to you they'd be doing on game day, then there's a problem. But Joe just, Judge was acting like he was shocked. And he's saying, well, it's the coaches that messed up. I mean, the coaches didn't all of a sudden mess up on game day. It was part of their preparation that Joe Judge should have been aware about Listen, moving on from Jason Garrett, if they feel they could have someone who could, you know, be a better offensive coordinator, have better game plans, 
so be it. But there always has to be a fall guy when a team's not doing well. You even take it in baseball, the Yankees season didn't go quite the way they wanted to. They keep their manager, they get rid of the coaches. I mean, someone has to take the fall. Someone, someone usually does take the fall, I should say. And in this case, the Giants had to make a move, not just maybe to improve the team, but for public perception as well, uh, to show that they're doing something. And Jason Garrett, I think, was the fall guy. Not that I feel he did a good job. Yeah, I mean, I mean, is he the only reason why the Giants' offense is struggling? No. I don't agree with you a lot what you're saying about Joe Judge uh, is overseeing it. Yeah, he is. He's overseeing everything from defense to offense to special teams to time management to personnel to who brings the water to the game to who is everything at the game and, and during the season. He gets an offensive coordinator for a reason, as you saw with Pittsburgh. The head coach fired the uh, – or the team let go of the offensive coordinator after last year. Not that their offense has proved that much, but that happens. And there is one guy that's in charge of the offense. And if if you look at the 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 separate units in offense, right? You got a quarterback coach, you got an offensive line coach, you got a running back coach, uh, and you got assistant coaches. There's a lot of coaches in football. I, I don't know why sometimes there's so many, but there is. And Joe and and Jason Garrett is responsible for all these coaches and putting together, coordinating a game plan, coordinating a, a strategy, a scheme for this offense. So here's a little stats for you, for you, Jack, right? And and Doc. In Daniel Jones' rookie year, he had a terrible time holding on the ball. He had like 11 fumbles. But here's some good stats for him. He's the first working quarterback in in football. To have three games with four TD passes and no interceptions. He's tied with five other quarterbacks in the history of football throwing five touchdowns. That was his rookie year. That's before Jason Garrett got there. So this year so far, he has eight TDs and five interceptions. So if you if you if you push that out, he may end up with 16 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. In the first year under Jason Garrett, the New York Giants offense in almost all categories ranked 31st. That's second to the last in offense. This year, they're up to 28th, I think it is. Let me let me get this right. 25th. 26th in certain areas. I think it's overall 26th, uh, Doc. That's what numbers I got this morning anyway. So in passing, and this was this was last year. They ranked 31, rushing 1,768 yards, which ranked 26. I'm sorry, 26 is what it says. It could be 25th. So this year combined under Jason Garrett, his total contribution to the Giants, they're averaging about 18 point something points per game. That's terrible. You cannot win as a team, if you're only scoring 18 points per game, unless you got a defense like the Bears of 85, the Ravens of 2000, and the Giants of 86, you cannot win games scoring 18 points per game. And, Jack, you know, if you're in any business, even in your business, say you're a chief editor, which means you probably have editors underneath you in different departments. If one of these departments are messed up, 
They're not going to come and fire you or say put pressure on you. They're going to put pressure on you to fire the guy whose department is messed up, who's not selling better than the other ones, or the, the articles aren't up to standard. So in every business, a certain person is responsible for certain things. I'm a pizza chef by trade, right? This is what I do now, I should say, anyway. If I, if I mess up the pizza station and I have a couple people that work under me, they're not firing the head chef. They're going to let me go because that's the part of the team that's not working well. And I think that Jason Garrett, as you said, with public pressure, Jack, somebody had to go. And the buck doesn't stop at Joe Judge because the team overall is playing badly. They're not overall playing badly. Their defense in most games are in it. But their offense is consistently bad. They got him a bunch of new wide receivers this year to play with, right? You, you picked up an all-pro tight end from the Minnesota Vikings. You signed Galladay, who's a possession receiver. You picked up, you signed Rush, who was a record-breaking receiver. You still had Slayton, who's a fast receiver. And you picked up and you, you ended up drafting Tony, who was another fast receiver. And for the Giants to be throwing out patterns and quick patterns over the middle doesn't make a lot of sense. You go with what you got. You got tremendous speed on the outside. So you would be trying to push the ball down the field. And if you don't want to do that, you shouldn't pick up all those receivers. So to me, that was the original game plan of this year. We're going to push the field, the ball down the field. Well, Jason Garrett hasn't done that. He hasn't called plays of that. And it looks like that Daniel Jones has taken a step back instead of a step forward. Again, the quarterback coach is responsible for that too. But the person that's in charge of that quarterback coach is Jason Garrett. And the most Maybe the most telling fact about the Giants right now is they're not anything. They're not a good running team. They're not a good passing team. They're not a good offense. There is no identity at all to the Giants. And this is Jason Garrett's second year, a former head coach of 10 years. And if he can't get it together and use the, the tools he has or has Daniel Jones use the tools he has or run the ball effectively – then who are you going to fire? Who are you going to let go? You got to let go of somebody. And you're sure not going to get rid of Coach Judge in the second year. You're going to get rid of the person that has the overall responsibility for that offense. And unfortunately, it's Jason Garrett. I can't, before Doc goes, I just want to say one thing. Uh, take the case of the New England Patriots. They have a rookie quarterback, Mac Jones. He's been having a really good year. The Patriots are really coming on strong. If the Patriots go to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl or whatever, people are going to be giving the credit to the head coach, Bill Belichick. They're not going to be focusing on the offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniel. And you talk about all these great quarterbacks. I mean, they point to the head coach, the partnership, Dan Marino, Don Shula, Vince Lombardi, Bart Starr. But when the quarterback's not doing well, it it doesn't become the head coach's fault. How come it becomes the offensive coordinator's fault? That's, I think, the mindset in football in this day and age. And okay, let, me, Doc, let, me reply to, let me reply to that before Doc says anything. Yeah. When you're the offensive coordinator, you do a good job, you get rewarded, right? You become a head coach. So you do get rewarded when you do a good job. Vince Lombardi was the offensive coordinator in the New York Giants. 
got the head coach because well, he did Eric the job. Eric Bieniemy, Patrick Mahomes, offensive coordinator, hasn't got well. Head coach well, I, I don't. I I can't speak for that, but okay. I can speak for. I can sure speak for Vince Lombardi, and I can speak for a lot of offensive coordinators that became head coaches. Bill Wall. Yeah, correct. Right, so, uh, yeah, good. You're so when they do, yeah. when they do have good years, Jack, they do get rewarded. So it's not like they say, well. The offense quarter had nothing to do with it. They, they in football they recognize it. Maybe not the fans, okay. but in football they do recognize. Yeah, it. good point, Mac. All right, so you know I'm not the biggest uh, football fan, but I did my research. I, I wanted to check this all out, and you know I think it's it's a case that you guys are are both are both right on this one. The Giants have been terrible. They in eight of the nine last years they've been an under 500 team, and many of those years way under 500. They haven't had a playoff win since 2011. Um, and you, if you, as Jack, as Mac was saying, at a 31, they were 31st out of 32 teams in offense last year, and this year, according to what I have, they're 25th in total offense. Um, they have the fewest touchdowns since the start of 2020. So, I mean, if you're this bad, you, you've got to do something. I think they believe in Joe Judge, and I think it's probably too early to fire the head coach. You know, I think in football, it's 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 probably the hardest sport to to build since, as you guys were talking about, there's so many different levels of coaches and so many different levels of plays that you almost need a head coach to be there for a number of years. This has been part of the problem with the Jets, too, is they keep changing head coaches, and you have one philosophy, then you bring in a new philosophy, and the new and the players you have were really drafted to fit the old philosophy. So I think you need a, ju- a, a coach to be there for a number of years so that the philosophy that supposedly he's going to bring in can come to fruition. And as far as Jason Garrett, you know, you know, he had an 85 and 67 record as the Dallas head coach, but in 10 years, he only made the playoffs three times and his record in the playoffs was two wins and three losses. So it wasn't like they had this brilliant mind. It wasn't like they got uh, um, Tom Landry from the Cowboys to be their offensive coach or um, um, Jimmy Johnson or some very successful coach. They got a guy who was uh, really underperformed for 10 years with the, with the Cowboys and he wasn't doing a great job by all uh, by all accounts. I looked up, a, there was an article in New Jersey Advanced Media that said that the Giants offense called their offensive play calling terrible and embarrassing. And, I mean, if that's the case, somebody's got to go. And, and the Giants are trying to do everything they can here in the last couple of weeks to try to salvage a season. The good thing about the NFL is if you get hot in December, you can – or late uh, September, uh, late November and December, you can often sneak into the playoffs. So maybe the Giants figure they can catch lightning in a bottle, sneak in the playoffs, and use it as a, something to build on for next year. So, I think part of it with Jason Garrett, he's so well-liked. Jerry Jones and the Cowboy family, they love Jason Garrett. They just like him as a person. And he was a backup quarterback with the Giants for years, so they knew him there. And he's such like a likable good person, you know? So I think that sometimes factors into it, uh, you know, but I, I guess it's philosophy, not just Jason Garrett, any offensive coordinator. Like, oh, one thing I will say, uh, Mac, you mentioned with the Steelers letting go of the offensive coordinator. If it's at the end of the year, I don't think a guy's ever quite made a scapegoat because the season ends and you're allowed to reload once the season ends. But to do it during the season – you know, I feel a little differently about a move made in season as opposed to, you know, the end of the season. Well, the big difference with that with the Steelers was they jumped out to 11-0, and Jack. 
So, I mean, everything looked great for the Steelers in the beginning until the end of the year when they kind of fell apart. So at that time, they were hailing the offensive coordinator, right? I mean, they were they were 11-0 when running. So I think that's the reason, too. I think if the Steelers' offense in two years hadn't had an identity, and I, again, an identity to me is everything in football because you got to have something that you're good at before you can get something else there. Kansas City has a great offensive throwing attack, right? Their running attack is based off their throwing attack where the Tennessee Titans have a great running attack and their throwing attack is based off their running attack. So you got to be good at something. You can't be middle of the road. You've got to be really good at something to have a good, a good strategy and scheme on offense and defense. So if you don't have either, you kind of end up like where the Jets are or the, the Texans are. And there's a little bit more reasons than that, but that's what happens. You've got to try to get good at something first. And then the Giants haven't done that in a long time. And it's not all Jason Garrett's fault. It's not. And I, I I agree with you there, Jack. But he is in charge. And if he's not, maybe he should have fired. So maybe he should have went to Joe Judge and said, hey, we're firing the quarterback coach because Daniel Jones ain't developing. Maybe if he did that, maybe they'd take another look at him. Mm-hmm. But he didn't do that. So um, I like Jason Garrett as a person. I, I, I've listened to him talk and. You are right. He's a heck of a guy. <clears throat> but in New York, uh, he could be a heck of a guy you want. You got to produce some results or uh, things get really hot fast. So um, really, we agree. I, I I think you could say he's a scapegoat, but he's also the one responsible and somebody's got to go. And unfortunately, uh, Garrett didn't do what he should have done in a year and a half. And, and especially with all the new weapons. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, so. The second debate question, which is really interesting to me, should there be a dress code for the NFL teams for away games? And even though a lot of people aren't going to think it's a big deal, I'm well, all teams. Let, let's make it all teams, okay? For uh, away games. Okay. Oh, yeah, sports. I think it's an NFL. All, all teams. Okay, yeah. all sports. I mean, a lot of people ain't going to think it's a big deal, but I kind of do. Because if you look at psychology of sports, right? football, baseball, whatever you want to call it, you are what you feel you are. And if you look like a team, believe it or not, you kind of play like a team, right? That's why the uniforms are so important to people on on the field. And when you arrive at an away team airport and even go to a game to the field, you represent the organization, right? You're a professional. It's called professionalism. It's no accident that... All professional sports announcers, if you look at my TV, are wearing suits or nice sports jackets because they look like they know what they're talking about, even if they don't, right? Hey, this this guy is pretty important. He's not wearing, you know, some, some checkered shirt or, you know, and, and, and a black hat. You know what I mean? So he's, he looks like he knows what he's talking about, right? Um, if you go to an awards banquet. You're not going to wear a sweatshirt and shorts, right? You're going to wear, you're going to dress up. It's an important thing. It's a professional event. If you're, you know, if you're going to go get an award, I don't think you'll show up in a hoodie and shorts. You might, but you know, pretty much they go there, they're dressed sharp. They look like they deserve the award, you know, and, and, and we talked a little bit before the show, even facial hair, right? I mean, the Yankees have you signed a contract that if you don't shave, they're going to fine you or whatever. They they could cut you. It's in your contract. So image to me means a lot. There's a there's dress codes in a lot of professions. I don't think you're going to buy a car from a guy that looks like he just got out of bed. 
you know, I don't think you're going to get real estate or, or sign to buy a house with somebody who, you know, is, is unkept. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're going to go to a person that looks like he, what he's doing. And image in sports is is very important, even though they're, they're individuals, Jack and Doc, they are part of a team. And, you know, they all have their different responsibilities and things on the field, but they still are a team. And to me, from from whatever level of sports you are, except for the little guys, I mean, it's important that you all look like a team, that you all look good. And you look good, you feel good. And that's the truth. That's the truth, folks. So I think it matters that the team does dress up nice when they go and they go play their away games. What do you think, Doc? All right. So I, I don't disagree with any of that. And if you look sometimes to successful uh, organizations, even like Disney, right, they have this very high uh, code that you have to follow and you, everybody's responsible for keeping the park clean and picking up garbage and, and looking as, uh, you know, as professional and wearing the uniform and you have to wear the uniform whenever you're seen. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a good thing. You, you know, I used to run field trips uh, it, to, to, to places like Washington, D.C. and things like that. And we would tell the kids they had to dress a certain way. You're not allowed to have hats on and you wear a shirt with a collar uh, for the boys and khaki pants and things like that. And and you know what always happened is everywhere we went, there'd be other schools, kids running around crazy. And our kids always held themselves to a different standard. This was a public public school. Um because we had them dressing the part, right? They, they, they looked respectable. They acted respectable. So, and, and I like the fact that the Yankees don't have the scraggly hair and the messy beards and things like that. I, the Yankees uh, try to have a very business-like approach. I wish that sometimes they'd be a little more fun to watch the last couple of years, but, but as far as when they're on the road, I have no problem with the team having, having a dress code. You know, there was the funny story. I, I was going to say it before we went on, but, uh, you know, when George Steinbrenner came, he was the one who instituted the short hair and 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 all that. And he saw Lou Pinello one year in spring training. And Lou Pinello had long hair. And George Steinbrenner said to Lou Pinello, he said, you've got to cut your hair. And Lou Pinello said, you know, Jesus had long hair. And Steinbrenner looked at him and he said, okay. And out behind the outfield wall, there was a lake in Fort Lauderdale. And he said, tell you what, you walk across that lake and you can keep your hair long. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's yeah, Penella got a haircut that day, I think. That's great. That's great. That's great. No, it's funny, Oscar Gamble, who had very long, long hair. He shaved it when he was a Yankee. But after the Yankees traded him, he grew the hat back and came back to Yankee Stadium with the full head of hair. I agree with you, Doc, as far as kids go, high school level, maybe even up to college in a certain sense. If you're representing a school, I can understand it. I, I once went, was at a hockey rink. My daughter was into figure skating, and I saw there was a hockey team getting ready to go to one of their games. And the kids were, I'd estimate, about 14, 15, and they had on shirts and ties. I thought that was a good thing because they usually don't dress that way and there's a certain discipline involved with that. I, I'm, I'm supportive of something like that. You, you kind of, it's more than just dress. You're teaching them certain rules and regulations and like a certain discipline. I respect that. So I'm differentiating professional athletes with the kids. What, 
I mean, listen, years ago, spectators, you'd look in the stands, they'd have on suits and ties. I mean, our dress codes have changed in society. We've gotten much, much looser, even us on the podcast. I mean, we're not dressed in suits and ties. And, you know, even though that would give us a better look, because I think we want to be relaxed. And I think that's the main thing. You want your athletes to perform at an optimum level. And if you have a team that's, let's say, traveling across the country on an airplane, you're making the guys with a suit and tie on. I mean, it's just, it's not as comfortable as letting them dress the way they want. Also, keep this in mind, the modern athlete is really conscious the way he dresses. I mean, they, you know, they like going out, buying clothes. They're making a lot of money. They like wearing certain outfits. Uh, I agree it should have to be presentable in a certain way. People aren't aware of the story of Phil Jackson. Before he became the head coach of the Chicago Bulls, he interviewed to be an assistant coach with the Bulls. Jerry Krause sets up the interview with the head coach at this time, Stan Albeck. Phil Jackson comes in casual with sandals on. Stan Albeck was furious. He wanted to kick him out just based on the way he was dressed on this job interview. Uh, you know, but to me, to me, you have to be presentable. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, you see a lot of young people that they'll be walking and I guess it's the new thing, but their pants are going to be halfway down where you're going to see their underwear. And if I'm hiring on a job, I feel I would be entitled to say, you know, keep your pants higher, you know, your belt on a certain way. But as long as they're presentable, they're comfortable, they're doing the job. But these pro athletes, the whole idea is to win. That's the bottom line. And if they're comfortable, they're more likely to win. Listen, comfort. Look at George Steinbrenner before uh, they played the Mets in the World Series, or maybe before game four, whatever. The Met clubhouse, the visiting clubhouse, he didn't like the furniture. He had furniture brought in just so his guys could be comfortable. Can you imagine his guys had to sit around with a show up with a suit and tie? I mean, let's be honest about it. As good as suits and ties look and tuxedos and the whole bit, they're not as comfortable as being casual. Okay. And comfort is the thing because if you, an athlete who's comfortable is more likely to perform better. Uh, so that is so that's my stand on it. Well, well, people like Drew Brees and Tom Brady wearing ties to away games seem to uh, be performing pretty well, Jack. The whole debate. They're more comfortable if you're more comfortable with a suit and tie no, on. Wear it. I'm not saying not the to. Whole, the whole debate thing was: should they show up with suits and ties and, and dress nice? Should they be required, basically? Yes, and that's and that's a definite yes. They're not. I, I I say they're not playing. First of all, they do represent an organization. They are getting paid good money by whatever team organization they're playing for. And whether they like it or not, or, or anybody likes it or not, they are representing that team or organization. They're not representing themselves. They're on a team. They're on a team that 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 wants to, to present a certain image. And I'm telling you right now, Jack, those players that you're talking about that, that show up in suit and ties, I remember the Giants going to Super Bowl playing the Patriots. They were all in suit and ties. So were the Patriots when they arrived at the Super Bowl. I mean, they were they were both, I guess, away teams, but one was a home team. You've you've got to maintain, 
I don't care what today they like to do. There has to be some kind of maintaining of professionalism. In, 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 if it's You're your telling me, Mac, wait, 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 Mac and Duck, if you have a team, let's say the Mets or the Yankees, they're flying cross-country, let's say, to Los Angeles, you would tell them they'd have to fly because they're out in public, you're representing the team with a suit and tie on. I would tell them to be comfortable. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I think there's, I think there's a difference here that that we're overlooking, uh, or, or or a nuance maybe. I think what Mac and I are saying is that on your way to and from the ballpark, you need to dress. You should. It, it, it's not wrong for the team to expect players to to dress a certain way and to look professional. Now, teams, I believe, all fly charter flights, so. There's nothing wrong with if you have the guys wearing a suit and tie as they're going onto the airplane or as they are at the airport. When they're on the plane, they could easily slip into something more comfortable, right? Because it's a charter flight. The only people on the plane are, are your own guys. Well, so, that's a pain but, in the butt changing your clothes on the plane. Well, just even taking even they taking off your jacket or your tie, unbuttoning your shirt, Doc is saying too. I mean, I don't think he's saying that they're gonna have a total change of clothes and change into sweats. But you can unbutton your tie, your shirt, and take off your tie. Then when you arrive there, you put it back on. And on the way to the game, they dress in suits, most of them, Jack. Some don't, but most do. And when they get to the locker room, they take off their shirt and tie, you know, and they, and they get comfortable. Well, you know, I'll tell you, with the media, with boxing at least, it's very, very rare that you see a reporter with a suit and tie. Uh, you know, any sporting event, a member of the media, you just don't see them with suits and ties on covering the event they're dressed casual nice perhaps and that's it yeah but at your banquets and awards i see everybody in suits and ties jack well i'll admit that yeah yeah at a banquet yeah i think it should be suit and tie absolutely i was a little taken back when the guy who beat anthony joshua alexander Usyk, before he beat joshua he was the fighter of the year for the boxing writers association of america that year i presented his manager the manager of the year award but after, but I see Yusik get up to get the fight of the year award, and he's extremely casual, not dressed up. And I'll, I'll admit, I didn't like that. And you know, at bank award banquets, yeah, yeah. I mean, an award, a sports banquet should be treated like, let's say, a wedding would be treated. Uh, you know, you should be dressing up for it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was just a quick story before we push on. Uh, when I took over one of the teams, they had old uniforms and and they barely, I mean, you could barely make out the numbers. And one of the first things we did after we started raising money was buy them new uniforms. And the kids played better than they ever had. And I'm telling you, there's something to be said about pride in the way you look and you are how you look and you play how you look. There's something to be said about image. And, you know, even though that's a game uniform, it's a kind of different. But the appearance of a person makes you feel good, man. If you go there and you're looking good, I mean, it, there's something to be said about that. How about we compromise going to and from the ballpark should be dressed up, okay, a certain way because of an image. But once you get on the bus or plane, well, going to the bus or plane, if you're going to the bus or plane, you could go dressed however you want. But if it's just you're going to your own car, showing up at the stadium, you know, back and forth. It's a home game. You know, I'm okay with a dress code there if that's what yeah. you want to do. But some 
it, that's not going to affect the performance negatively. But if, once you're getting on a plane, you're waiting around for the flight and the whole bit. I, I, yeah, I just think the comfort factor, you know. Uh, we could go back and forth on it. Teams have loosened up. In all fairness, I hear teams have loosened up the dress requirements because they want their players to be more comfortable because the bottom line is how you're performing on the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another, another giveaway in today's modern sports society that just ah. – anyway, folks, we're going to be right back with our next topic. Right after these messages, what are, what are we talking about? What are we talking about next? We're talking about, let's see. Oh, we're going to talk about Manning's Monday night versus real Monday night football. That's going to be interesting. I, I can't wait to talk about this because uh, just a lot of different opinions will be coming your way, folks. So what would you rather watch? Would you rather watch the Monday night football game on ESPN as presented by the last, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years? Or the new Monday Night Football, watch, view with the Manning brothers. Very interesting. Let's see what, what we come up with. We'll be right back after this, folks. nation's armed forces and you're looking for a way to continue serving your fellow veterans in your community, then join AMVETS. Each year, AMVETS members volunteer millions of hours at VA healthcare facilities from coast to coast, helping to improve the lives of their fellow veterans through the VA Voluntary Services Program. AMVETS posts and departments also participate in a wide variety of community service projects, ranging from Americanism in our schools to supporting the Special Olympics and Boy Scouts of America. If you no longer wear the uniform today, you can still serve through the AMVETS by joining today at AMVETS.org. You work too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. But you're aching yet in stomach here, this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Those Speedy bubbles relieve your upset stomach and headache fast. For acid indigestion alone, Alka-Seltzer gold. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. Grandma, what's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making student eyes. Chocolate nuts is that heavenly coffee. Heavenly coffee. Heavenly coffee. Chocolate nuts is that heavenly coffee. Someone offered you a drink. Grandma? This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. 
This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning. You're listening to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show. We're on live Thursday through Sunday, 8 to 10 a.m. This is the Saturday Debate Show with your hosts, Mac, Jack Hirsch, and Dr. Paul Semendinger, who I had to turn the mic off from when I saw him backstage because I was laughing so hard. Doc, you look great. Well, I was just thinking about the dress code and uh, Jack talking about everybody wearing the uh, fedoras and the dress shirts and the ties. I didn't quite get the suit coat on, but I figured I wanted to represent us well. And 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 he was saying that we should dress better and 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 look better so that we add a a sense of professionalism to the Saturday debate show. Yes, yes. Yeah, Jack is so so messed up. He didn't even turn on his microphone. If they ever do a movie on Don Lawson's perfect game, Doc, I would hire you as an extra sitting in the stands. You would fit in with those people in the 1950s. So now, so now, if if you look at the host right now, viewers, and by the way, Diggs BTW, what's up with you too? Uh, from Twitch, you want our Twitch followers out there? So, uh, as you look at the screen right now, you got two people in a shirt, one with a tie, two with dress shirts. 
two hats and we have our boxing expert, our uh, historian, wearing a red sweatshirt. So there you go, sweater, folks. Sweater, sweater, man. Oh, it's sweater, a sweater, sweater. Not a sweatshirt. Oh, it's a sweater. So that that's that's better. So so so, so Jack is wearing a sweater. Doc, you look great. You look great. I'm telling you too. You the hat's great. actually a little small, but yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, listen, it's it's it is what it is. You kind of look like a like one of the guys in uh, you know in an old Brando movie. You know, one of those guys that uh, you know may roll up in a in a car beside you and say, "Come here a second, I want to talk to you." you know, I could have been a contender. Yeah, yeah you could have been. Yeah, you could have been. So could have been somebody. Yeah, you could have been somebody. I never watched that movie on the waterfront. Oh, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. I I saw little snippets of it, but I never watched the whole movie. I'll tell you, check it out, Jack. It's a good movie. Even today, I watched it. Yeah. Three Car Named Desire, another great movie, old movie by Brando. That's excellent, too, if you want to check it out. Well, I read the book, Street Car Named Desire, but never saw the movie itself. Yeah, Yeah, so. Um, So, folks, our next topic is, of course, Monday Night Football has been on, and, and it came on in a big way when it first started. They had more cameras than any other uh, than any other ABC Sports had more cameras in the stadium than any other. They could cover more angles than any other network at the time. It was a big, it was a big uh, I don't know, like a presentation, right? It was presenting football in a different way with Howard Cosell, Danny Don Griffin, and, and of course, uh, the Giants' great running back, Frank Gifford. So, I mean, it was a presentation and then they had those great personalities up there and it was kind of funny and, it, you know, it was just, it was just something that was never done before. Well, now Monday Night Football is changing even a little bit more as, you know, you have the two announcers that are on there right now. And I know, um, trying to remember the, the, the host's name. I should know it off the top. I'm having a brain freeze right now. Uh, but the two, one is Chris Collinsworth. The other one, guys, Jack, is... Are you talking about that Sunday night football, Al Michaels and Chris? Oh, sorry, Thomas? sorry, sorry. I'm doing Sunday night football. My bad, my bad. But the Monday night football crew uh, who actually called Mike Tirico and yes, yes, Mike Tirico. That's the one I'm trying to think of. Um, and Bob Greasy and uh, Lewis Reddick. Lewis Reddick, right? Lewis Reddick, yeah. the former GM that is in line to try to get the Giants' GM job as soon as uh, Gittleman is fired. But anyway. Um, they uh they call one game and then the Manning brothers call another. It's like a view. It's a new thing. Well, they do it at the same time, right? At the same time on the different. Let me finish, Jack. It's a view, right? It's a lot of them do this on the internet now, where you don't actually watch the wrestling match or you don't watch the MMA fight. You watch two people watching and commenting on these shows. So it's it's pretty big on the internet right now. So the question is, uh, would we rather? or which one we think is better, however you want to say it, the Monday night format with the, you know, the the old way with the three commentators or the new way with the Manning brothers. And I think Jack's up first. Yeah, I've watched them both. And while I don't have an answer exactly because I went back and forth, it depends what week. You see, you're looking for different things. If you watch it with the regular commentators, if you're really, really into the game heavily, okay, that's the ESPN channel to watch because the picture's better, you know, it's bigger, clearer. The Mannings, if you like 
you know, to have the feeling you're hanging out with a couple of your buddies, your friends, you're watching the game, you like the joking around, then the Mannings are the way to go. It also depends on the guests the Mannings have. When they had Tom Brady as a guest, I'm watching the Manning brothers. I enjoy the interaction, the joking around, and that's football talk. The Manning brothers have great insights as being quarterbacks. So when they, they can really let you know the inside of the game, and it's good to see them get upset over certain play calls, over certain plays. And again, it becomes the guest. When they had on Bill Parcells, you can't resist but watching that. I mean, think of all the knowledge in the room, the Manning brothers, Bill Parcells, the interactions, the stories. It's nice. So I've kind of been going back and forth. I'll see the Manning guest list, who they're going to have on that show. And sometimes, like I said, if you have a Tom Brady, it's must viewing for me. You know, it depends on whether you're a fan of the guests that they're going to have on. So I've gone back and forth. In the beginning, I was watching the Mannings more. Now I've kind of switched back to the regular channel a little more. But I kind of flipped the channel a little, you know, back and forth. So I'm kind of split down the middle. But I will say this. They did take a poll recently. And percentage-wise, most people are watching the regular game over the Manning thing. Because I think the telecast itself, the production is more professional than what we see with the Mannings. With the Mannings, you basically see two guys in the living room, two knowledgeable guys. They're talking about the game. They're joking around. But we don't have as clear a picture. So it depends how, if you're not into the game at all, and you just have to are hardly into the game, then the Mannings are the way to go. If you're very heavily into football, then the regular channel's the way to go. Yeah, I mean... I agree with you a lot, uh, what you said there, Jack. I mean, if you look at, at the way it is today, as I said before, there's a lot of these things going around the internet where a lot of people that don't can't get pay-per-view or can't get the, you know, get it on their channel, they go to these watch shows and they're very highly viewed. I mean, a lot of people watch them watching. I mean, if you think about it, there's actually a huge millions of people watch other people play video games. It's it's crazy. I I know I still it still blows my mind that people actually do that, but they do. So um, I think it has a lot to do. And I'm old school. I'm probably more old school than both of you when it comes to especially football and the way things should be and what they are. I mean, if if you think about, I still like listening to the Yankees and the Monday Night Football on radio. Believe it or not, if I get a chance. I listen to that before I even watch it on TV. I just like it. I just, it's the way I, I watch, listen to sports growing up. So, I mean, if I get a chance and the radio show, the, I get a chance to listen to the radio show, I will. If you ever haven't listened to Monday Night Football Radio, you should. It's, it's unbelievable the job they do. But if you think about the Mannings, as you said, Jack, you're talking about maybe two, well, guaranteed two to top 10 quarterbacks in the history of football, both multiple Super Bowl. No, no, winners. Eli's not one of the top 10 of all as far as I'm not even close. Yeah, i got to yeah, stop yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, he's fifth in yards all time. He's not, like, not one of the top 10 of not he's Eli. Fifth, he's no. fifth. Statistically, Jack, he's fifth. Look it up right now. He's fifth. Jack, all time. I've seen him play. He's not. Jack, he's, I, I don't. Jack, I, I'm. I saw a lot of quarterbacks. He's play. a Hall I'm of Famer, Eli. I'm, I'm concerned. I'm not telling you. 
I'm telling you, statistically, he is, Jack, whether you like it or not. Statistically, he's in a top Statistically, he had a 500 record over his career, if you want to look at it. Statistically, he's the fifth leading passer in the history of football. That's that's facts. Like, and you, you you can argue with me all you want. That's the fact. He's fifth all time in yardage passing. So that's top ten. I could say that, that it would be another discussion, but I could start listing quarterbacks and put them one on one with Eli. Jack, you could list you want. I think Johnny United might be the greatest quarterback of all time, but statistically, he's not. Statistically, Eli Manning is the top ten quarterback. You put Eli Manning ahead of Johnny Unitas. You're saying statistically he is. That's a fact. So you're saying he's better than Johnny Unitas? Why do you want to keep putting words in my mouth? I just told you I think Johnny Unitas might be the greatest quarterback of all time. Statistically, Eli's better. That's just a fact. Whether whether you like it or not, that's the fact, Jack. Statistically, he's a top ten quarterback of all time. So as I was saying. Both of these guys, statistically, if that makes you feel better, are top 10 quarterbacks of all time. They both multiple. I don't agree with the statistical part, but that's another issue. Jack, how can you not agree with what the statistic says? One loss record's a statistic, correct? A one loss loss record is not a quarterback's statistic, Jack. Just letting you know, it's a team statistic. If you want to be, if you want to be specific. Right? So I mean statistically. He is a top 10 quarterback. So statistically, when the Denver Broncos obliterated, uh, got obliterated by the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl that was played at the Meadowlands, Peyton Manning, the losing quarterback, set a Super Bowl record for completions in that game. Right. In a lot of dinks and dunks, but statistically, he played, I could say he played the greatest game in Super Bowl so, so history, you're, right? So you're, so you're telling me John Elway losing two, losing three Super Bowls, I think it was, or is he two and two? I'm trying to remember. So you're going to tell his me. first three, won his last. So two. you're going to tell me that John Elway is not one of the greatest quarterbacks because he lost three Super Bowls. No, I, he is one of the well, greatest quarterbacks. Well, why not? Well, I mean, why not? Why not? Eli Manning, It's a win-loss ratio. So. Eli is two and zero in Super Bowls. Elway's two and three. Ah, uh, Doc, look up who has more yardage gained over their career. Your your boy John Riggins or Frank Gore? Now John Riggins was better than Frank Gore. No ifs or buts about it. But Gore, I have a feeling had more yardage over his career. Well, statistically, so Gore, Gore would then uh, you're going to say Gore was better than John Riggins because statistically he had more yeah, yardage. Yeah. Well, do you think do you think Emmitt Smith is better than Jimmy Brown? No, statistically, is he's number one rusher of all time. Okay, so let's. So this is Jack. So what? 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 I'm. What you're arguing is it's a statistic. You're not arguing with me. I'm just telling you what the statistics. You said say. Eli Manning was one of the ten greatest top ten quarterbacks, quarterbacks in NFL history. history. Yes. If you said statistically, you know, okay. I mean, that might be a little different. The argument. But you were just saying one of the greatest, and now you're saying based on statistics. Well, how else are you, how else you gonna how else, how else are you gonna grade it, Jack? Are you gonna grade it on what? Super Bowls he's two and oh, right? Is he two and oh in Super Bowls? Jim Kelly's 0 and four. Do you think do you think do you think Eli Manning is better than Jim Kelly? Andy Pettit was a greater pitcher than Sandy Kovacs then. One more postseason games, this and that. I mean, in that 
to say well, that would be way off base. You're saying winning games. I'm not talking winning games. I'm talking about the statistics of their career, Jack. Jim Pluckett won two Super Bowls. Is he better than Dan Marino? No. Because, of course not, because it's not a win-loss has nothing to do – well, has something to do, but it's not a quarterback statistic. I, 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 I keep making the point over and over with you. Listen, I'm telling you what the stats say. Eli Manning and his brother Peyton are top 10 quarterbacks in history of football, according to their career statistics. That's, that's the only way you can judge them. So anyway, let me get back to, my, to what I was saying. What were um, we talking about? I know, I know, really. So anyway, well, well, we got a little. When he said, "Yeah, I don't want." Yeah, let's not go down. I did make a list of who I think the top ten quarterbacks of all time are. While you guys were arguing, oh, cool, cool. Let's hear it. We'll we'll get to it. So anyway, I think a lot has to do with the game too, right? So if you're watching a game that's a stinker, you know, where the other team is beating the team by much, or you know it's not going to be a good game. For instance, Buffalo and the New Orleans Saints, we knew wasn't going to be a good game. We knew Buffalo was pretty much going to kill them. I would rather listen to the Mannings talk about their stories. They've been on commercials together. They've been on they've been on movie sets together. They're kind of they're kind of funny. They're both brothers, so they have a lot of stories they can talk about not only about football but of of their life and growing up with Archie Manning. And they can talk about all the players they met while they're covering the game. So I believe that it depends on the game. If it's going to be a real good game or it is a real good game, I probably want to see you know, the view of it. I would want to look at, at what the game looks like and covering every angle and then on a big screen. I would probably want to see that. But if I know, in fact, if you say maybe the Houston Texans are maybe playing the New England Patriots, I pretty much think the Patriots would probably kill them and it would probably be more entertaining to watch the Manning brothers or by halftime if the Patriots are up 30 to nothing or 21 to nothing, I probably would turn to the Mannings to watch and listen to their bantering back and forth as people do, tune in to watch me and Jack bantering back and forth. What do you think, Doc? All right, so I'm more of a traditionalist when it comes to watching a game. I think Jack makes a good point. Uh, if it was just the Mannings talking, I think I would enjoy it a little more than seeing the split screen and seeing them on the side. But just going back to my own baseball uh, enjoyment, I agree with you, Mac, that I enjoy listening on the radio. I, my favorite Yankee announcer is John Sterling. Uh but if I'm listening to a ball game, whether it be a football game or a baseball game or anything, I, I really want them to be talking primarily about what's happening on the field. And when they get distracted, Michael Kay does this a lot with, with especially when he's with uh, Paul O'Neill. They just tend to get silly, and to me, that it just becomes a distraction. I don't, I don't enjoy it as much. But for the entertainment value, I think the Mannings actually do a great job. And and uh, the game where Tom Brady was there. Uh, they, they were having a lot of fun together and that, that, that does add a certain element in it and in in a certain joy. What, um, what I would love to have happen is to be able to choose your announcers when you're watching a game, you know, they have those different buttons on the, on the remote. You can go to, uh, different languages sometimes and things like that. What would be really cool is if you could get the hometown TV announcers, click, get the hometown radio announcers, click, get the visiting team TV guy, the visiting team radio guy, and maybe a national person, and maybe just stadium sounds, uh, no no announcer at all. That, that would be a really neat thing that they could do. So 
I, I don't think there's a better way to watch or a worse way to watch, but if I'm watching a game and it's a serious game and I really care about the game, I'm not going to watch the Manning brothers. I'm going to watch the regular announcers. I got to tell you guys, sometimes they have these this trial run like the Major League Baseball Network, the NBA, where you could get every single game, okay? I don't sub subscribe myself. I'm sorry. I don't have time to watch the Kansas City Royals play, for example. You know, as long as I got the Mets, the Yankees, you know, and the regular games that ESPN puts on, I have more than enough. But you hear some of these small market announcers and you compare them to the New York announcers, and sometimes there's a distinct difference in the quality. I don't care. I mean, Michael Kay's bantering, which can be funny, enjoyable at times. Sometimes you could go a little stale listening to it. And I like Michael Kay a heck of a lot. Agreed, okay? agreed. Right. It's much better. I'll take that any day over some of these small club announcers. Some, not all. Who are kind of, I don't want to say dullish, but they, they're they kind of plain. They don't have like that taste to it, you know, kind of like a food, you know, like pizza, for example. Some pizza is absolutely delicious, okay? Some is kind of blah. It's flat. It's like carnival. a certain pizza you might pick up at a carnival. They don't put any ingredients in it, and it's just like very plain, Okay. So there's a difference in the announcers and being locally, okay, you know, in the big market, maybe we should, you know, appreciate the quality a little more. The guys we get a little tired of from time to time, they're darn good compared to some of the announcers elsewhere. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Interesting, yeah, like with, with, uh, with baseball, I think they get under our skin a little bit because we live with them every single day. It is like they're they're into our house and, and they're part of our family. So so especially with a baseball announcer for a hometown team, you're you're gonna be living with that person 162 games plus spring training and and sometimes they're guests on the talk radio and things like that. So you hear them a lot. And and so yeah, I understand that. But I do agree with you that in the New York market, we are definitely spoiled in the fact that our announcers are often so, so, so much better than than the other towns. Well, if you look at it, right? If you look at it, guys, isn't isn't uh isn't the Yankee broadcast radio I know it's national, but it's not it's 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 like a Homer show, really, right? I mean, they get into, they got nicknames for the Yankees. They get really excited when the Yankees win. And a lot of locals, and I'm trying this comparison because a lot of local uh, announcers, if you listen to their broadcast, if their team does good, they're off the charts. You can hardly understand what they're saying, right? And and if they're losing, they're very blah about it. So it's sometimes local is fun because of the excitement that they have there, too. And sometimes, you know, it's overdrawn, especially if you're on the opposing end. It's like, all right, shut up. Yeah, you scored a touchdown right home run. We got it. But they did try that one stack with no announcers in the NFL. They did do that. It was an AFC game. I think the Browns, I forget the other team was, where there was actually no announcer except the field announcements. And they did try that once, and it was it quickly failed um, because I think a lot of people want to be entertained as, as well as just watching the game. I know. I, I hear people say, well, I watched the game with the sound off. Really? I mean, you can do it. Like when I was flying to Las Vegas, we I had the NFL games on 
And those little ear pods of mine, it kind of kept falling off. I got these cheap ear, ear pods. Sometimes I'd hold one to my ear if I really needed to hear something. But I'm watching with the sound off, and I know what's going on with the game. I mean, they, they let you know fourth and three or whatever the yardage is. And uh, you're right. We kind of want to be entertained in a way, even though, like, we see what's happening. Even boxing, when I go to the fights, I don't have any broadcast. I know what I'm watching. Same thing if I'm watching on TV. But I kind of like being entertained, hearing another opinion. And uh, you kind of want to be informed, too, because sometimes something goes on that you can't tell is happening, you know, on TV. So it's kind of like a nice source of information as well. I mean, John Madden would fill you in on things that a normal football, you know, fan may not understand or, or look at where he'll bring it to your attention and do an entertaining way. He was great at that. And the, the broadcastless game, my assistant producer just showed me was believe it or not, the jets versus the dolphins in 1980. So I remembered it happened. I just got the teams wrong. So the Jets announcers quit for one day, and they say, go ahead and watch it anyway. So there was a game without any announcers. Go ahead, Jeff. You mentioned Monday Night Football when it started in 1970. The thing that made it popular wasn't the football games itself. It was the entertainment with Giffith, Meredith, Cosell. It was new, you know, nothing like that had ever been seen before. You know, football on a Monday night. Now you could get it just about every night of the week, college, this or that. But it was a big thing in the way they would go back and forth, you know, Cosell with Meredith and Gifford was the straight guy. And it was entertainment more than football. I mean, that's what people didn't understand. It wasn't the game itself that was grabbing people. It was just the dislike for Cosell, or you like Cosell, and just to see them go at it made it well, kind of well. I encourage special. anybody, anybody to to look at uh, the story behind Monday Night Football. I watched it, and it wasn't only just that. And you're right, Jack. That was that was one of the first times that they had a, a crew like that together. But also, there was over, I think, twenty. There was only like four or five cameras in the NFL covering games at the time, and they wanted it to be a a huge spectacular event. And they had like 20 or 50 cameras all over the, the stadium to get every angle they could. And that was another thing that you didn't see on other games where you saw maybe the sideline and maybe an end zone shot. They were showing different corners where they could pick up different different players, uh, you know, different receivers one-on-one. First time that was ever done, too. So it was a huge production. It really was. And if, if you got a chance, anybody out there, go check it out. Uh, there's a definite uh, – story about how Monday night football, you know, came to be and what they did uh, to make that thing work. So it's, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. So folks, we're going to take our last break for the show. On the other side, we're going to talk a little bit about LeBron James, which is always interesting, LeBron James. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame inductions, right? We got a few players that are in their last year of eligibility uh, that we're going to talk about. So it's going to be really interesting, and we'll guarantee we'll debate it. I think we'll agree a lot on some things we're going to do, but I'll play devil's advocate on a couple of these things. I love doing that, even though I may not even agree with myself. I do that quite a bit. So anyway, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Stick with us. Here comes the king. Here comes the big number one. 
Budweiser beer, the king is second to none. Just say Budweiser, you've said it all. Here comes the king of beer, so you let's You served honorably at our nation's armed forces, forces, and you're looking for a way to continue serving your reading the rest. When you say Bud, and each good aging makes its beer at its best. When you say Bud, what tastes so tell you? So loud and clear. There's only one Budweiser beer. When you say Bud, you, you said it all. the word asthma. You probably think of shortness of breath, coughing, or inhalers. Lots of things can trigger asthma, but the fact is that asthma doesn't just attack, it can kill. But with proper medical management, asthma is controllable. If you experience shortness of breath, wheezing, tightness in your chest, or persistent nighttime coughing, you may have asthma. See your doctor and get the facts. You'll breathe easier. For more information, call 211-INFO-LINE. A message from the Connecticut Department of Public Health. Keeping Connecticut healthy. My baloney has a first name. It's O S C A R. My baloney has a second name. It's M A Y E R. Oh, I love to eat it every day. And if you ask me why, I'll say, 'Cause Oscar Mayer has a way with B O L O G N A. Oscar Mayer, the first name in Bologna. How's that? We all make choices. When it comes to alcohol, kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Bye-bye. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Ann, have a seat for a second. Remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. They want guidance and honest answers to their questions. And it makes a difference when the message is consistent and part of everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One stop, turn it up, tune in. You want football? Well, Northeast Streaming Sports has football. You follow baseball? We got your baseball right here. You say you love boxing. We got the best boxing show on the air. You enjoy watching and following wrestling. We got wrestling. You like coverage of your your teams. Well, we got that. You want live sports. We got live action. We got the biggest sports stars and personalities on the air. You want good, entertaining, informative sports shows? We got them too. 15 shows in all. We got what you want. We're not ESPN. We're not Fox Sports. We're not even CBS Sports. 
We're your personal sports network. We're NESSP, Northeast Streaming Sports, on YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, and Pandora, under Sports Podcast. We got what you want. We're Northeast Streaming Sports. This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Mac and Jack Sports Show on Northeast Streaming Sports. I'm your host, Mac, with your co-hosts. There's hosts. They're the same as me. Uh, Jack Hirsch, sports historian, legendary boxing writer, and we also got Dr. Paul Semendinger. Uh, great, great podcast he has, Start Spreading the News, and a great blog also called The Same, Start Spreading the News, where he's on with his co-host, Dr. E.J. Fagan, who does Bronx Beat podcast a great podcast about the yankees also let's talk a little bit about your upcoming shows guys monday night folks we have glove fist with jack hirsch and frank lotirzo both boxing experts both know everything about boxing at the past present and what's going to come up i mean they make great predictions on fights they cover the big fights they talk a little bit about boxing history uh they talk about they do spotlights on Great fighters. Uh, they also have an anniversary uh, where they have an anniversary fight, some great matches in the past. So if you get a chance, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, check out Glove Fist. It's on the Northeast Streaming Sports YouTube channel. And following them at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central, we have Start Spreading the News with Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. E.J. Fagan who cover everything about the Yankees. They know everything about the Yankees, trust me. They know everything from the minor leagues up to what's happening, the newest uh, updates that you would want to talk about, and they have a lot of commentary on the Yankees. Uh, they also cover the MLB. They go around the MLB and check out the rest of the league uh, for part of their show too. So both grade A one shows, both do very well in views, very well as far as, um, as feedback that I've been getting uh, from both shows. So Monday night, folks, we have a great lineup for you over there on Northeast Streaming Sports YouTube channel. Check out both shows. They're both doing really well, and they're both quality shows. So um, congratulations. I have more faith in your show than mine because they have you going head-to-head against the Manning brothers. <laughs> okay, they've got the earliest slot. Why don't have competition? Yes, yes. Well, they do very well. You know, the, the Manning brothers lost one view. Uh, it, it was it was a ratings thing. Uh, that one one viewer left the Mannings to come watch me. But that's <laughs> right, right. Hey, with, hey, listen. With the hot stove season, there's a lot of good baseball stuff. It's amazing about baseball, Doc. You can talk it 365 days a year. I mean, the other sports, the season's going to end. We take a little bit of a break where we really don't have no desire to talk about it. 
But baseball, you know, the desires there, like every day, what moves teams are going to make. As soon as the season ends, you wonder, you kind of wonder what's going on next. And especially now during the free agent period, something big is going to come down with, you know, I get the feeling with the Yankees, something very big is going to come down. I have no idea what it's going to be, but I think it's going to blindside us. That's my prediction. We're going to get. Well, they, have, they have a few days. I, I I hope they do. Yeah, I mean the the, the one of the biggest stories has got to be that bargaining agreement, right? I mean, all this free agency and all this stuff. I mean, there may be a lockout. There might be a strike. God forbid that you know that that it happens, but it's possible. I mean, you know, there's a lot of issues facing baseball as far as contracts, and we talked about how many years and how much they're making, and and uh, you know, eh, we'll see what happens. It's going to be very yeah. Baseball will be shooting themselves in the foot if they if they lock this thing down or shut it down or lock out and they stop the offseason. Because Jack's right. Baseball is mm. one of those sports where you talk about it all year long and it's exciting and it's fun. And my goodness, like like part of the fun of being a baseball fan, especially in a big market like the Yankees, is uh, hoping, excuse me, that the team is going to make big moves and it would be terrible for baseball. It would be so short-sighted for them to shut the sport down on, on December 2nd because of labor things. they got to figure this out, they, and they don't have any more days to what's figure the it big, out. What's the big conflict right now? I don't have a grasp on it myself. I mean, what is the big argument on the owner's behalf and the player's behalf? Um, I, I think it has to do with some some of the rule changes. They're using those like DH in the National League as as leverage. And I think it has to do with compensation as far as the luxury tax and and if there's going to be a ceiling uh, or a floor on salaries and things like that. I, to be honest with you, I don't follow the labor part of it. I that that part I can care it's less about. It's got to be the labor part of it. I can't imagine them striking over DH. Oh, that, no, no, no. But I think those they're using that as a as a leverage, as as a negotiating tool. We'll give you this, which gives you another position, a high priced player. But then you've got to give us that mm. type of thing. And it, it all, you know, like all these things, it comes down to money, right? And again, I don't really care about the money part of it. I just want to watch uh, the game, and I want to be excited about the players that my team might be acquiring over the winter. And I want to get excited when my team gets a great player. And I want to be frustrated when, you know, you think maybe Starling Marte was going to be a Yankee and then the Mets get him. You're like, you got to be kidding me. How can the Yankees fall asleep at the wheel? They got to get this guy. That's part of the fun. Yeah. It's not always just winning. Part of the fun is being frustrated when they don't win or they don't get the guy you want. Well, I guess that's a, you can't shut that down. That's a huge difference between team sports and individual sports, right? I don't think boxing has ever had a strike. I don't know, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember boxers ever saying we're not going to, we're not going to box anymore if you do. We don't got a minute. No, well, there's no type of union. Boxing's disorganized. And of all the professionals, only the top 2% per weight division make any serious, serious impact money. Why, you know, do, you of, why do you think that is? Before you go on, why do you think that? Why don't you think other boxers have banded together and said, hey, listen, you know, this is unfair. We're, we're fighting. It's like impossible. It, it can't happen. You know, I would speak in front of these crowds and for years, these old timers would keep pleading for pensions in boxing Yeah, and it wasn't realistic. And I remember speaking in front of a crowd of people, you know, one of the meetings, I was a guest speaker 
And there were a lot of smiles when I got up there. This was years ago, but I told them point blank, stop this nonsense talking about pensions. It's not going to be, it can't be a reality in the sport of boxing. I mean, because it's so, it's a possession sport. A fighter fights now and then, and who's going to be in charge to administer things? And, you know, you, you could get a lot of money. Someone could administer something in a medical fund. You know where there could be money released if someone needs a procedure. Something like that could always be a possibility. But boxing let, let, me, really let, me throw, let me throw you a hypothetical, Jack. Suppose the top five or ten in each division said, hey, listen, we want pensions. We want this. We want that. If you don't, we're not fighting. And suppose that happened. What do you think what boxing would do with that? They wouldn't fight at all. Uh, goodbye. They'd fade into oblivion. I mean, it, it can't be. The, who's going to give them a pension? And the top, very top guys who are making big money can invest in their own pensions, their own medical. And, it, you know, it's what they generate money-wise, too. Right. You have to consider that. And the vast majority don't generate enough money for there to be benefits, a union, it's, it's just the reality of the sport. I mean, like Tyson Fury fights Deontay Wilder. It's a big event. It generates a millions and millions of dollars. Right. Well, you know, a lot of people, but that money's not going to go back for other fighters and be administered. It, it, it's Boxing is completely disorganized. That way, look, they were writing stories in the 1950s calling for boxing pensions, and it would go on and on and on. And it's just not a reality. It sounds nice. That's the thing about it. it. You know, it sounds very nice, but it's a bunch of talk. I mean, I remember Bill Gallo, great Bill Gallo, great guy, would be saying, well, if the promoters like Don King and Bob Arum would just take 1% of their money and kick it back, so-and-so could be done. You know, it's not realistic. Yeah. Not at all. Well, interesting. I I, I, I was very interested in that MMA, uh, boxing, uh, these individual sports. I guess it's very hard for the. the no, ones. you can't. The individual yeah. sports. It's a possession activity. It's like yeah. the man on any job who comes into work now and then. He's not going to get all these benefits as opposed to someone who's been with a company like all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I, mean, I definitely basic I understand principle. That. Yeah, I definitely understand that, but it's too bad because I think uh, yeah, well, maybe, maybe it could help out a lot of uh, boxers that do fall by the wayside that they have volunteer people doing this, like you, Jack, and and, and others that you know. Oh, no, I've been involved with a self help group, Ring Eight. Okay, yeah. and yeah. it's helped you know when someone, for example, can't pay the rent and they're going to get evicted, it helps out that way. But you want to know something that I find. The people with a lot of money in boxing, they just don't donate or contribute even to groups that could use the money to administer. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, ridiculous, you know. You know, the power brokers, how stingy they can be. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i not going to mention the name, but there was one person in the boxing business with enormous wealth who had pledged $1,000, you know, to a group I'm involved with that would go to, you know, fight a need, something who needed a few dollars. And then that person, you know, kind of like reneged on it. 
late right. on, you know, with a lot of wealth. I mean, they forgot about it. In all fairness, I was a little slow to send the invoice to them for that. But then when they were reminded, they would be speaking to other people in their company about it. And it's going to be such a hassle. We said, forget about it. But this is this was someone with enormous, enormous wealth. And you're talking about a tiny little thing, a thousand dollars that they were going back on. And, you know, even you ask the wealth, you listen, there's this one famous fighter, okay, who would be, you know, and there'd be a banquet that would be happening. And we asked them for a, a, a little bit of money for sponsorship and they'd be on it perhaps because, you know, they their company would sponsor it. Right. And they were too tight for that tiny bit of money to sponsor it. And the tiny bit of money we asked for would allow certain fighters to attend the function where the organization wouldn't lose money and they wouldn't contribute that tiny amount. And then that famous fight I read would be out at a strip club throwing dollar, you know, the money yeah. around. I mean, that's what you're dealing with. I mean, but listen, everyone has a right. They don't have to contribute if they don't want to, you know, you know, for charitable causes. You know, that's their thing. What they want to do, they do. What they don't want to do. Well, if that was ever to happen, and and I'll close it out with this, if something like that was ever to happen, it would have to be the biggest fighters in the business that said that, right? I mean, it would have to be the ones that would draw the most income if they fought to do something like this, Jack. Isn't that true? I mean, you, you, a, guy that's, a guy that's unknown ain't going to be able to no, do No, the TV, listen, the TV networks, I mean, enormous money is coming from there. And it's, listen, it's hard even these major TV networks, okay? Uh, one of their own could be getting honored. And you ask them to put in an ad, you got to chase after them just to pay to put in an ad to congratulate someone getting no. on it within you know they all one of their own i mean it's just that's weird not all not not everyone some are cooperative yeah. but some you know who you think you know would jump at the chance i mean they're very indifferent interesting very interesting so folks back to our debate we have uh, a lebron topic now lebron got in a fight uh with Isaiah, if I'm saying it right, Jack, Isaiah Stewart, uh, he elbowed him, yeah, and Isaiah Stewart, uh, he ended up getting uh, a cut on on his face. I think it was near his eye, and he went after uh, LeBron. And LeBron got a one-game suspension. He got a two-game suspension. And the in the topic, and Jack's going to lead this off because I, I really don't know a lot about it. I know I, what I've read. But LeBron's suspension was one game, and Jack said maybe it should have been held off for the home game instead of the next game. And Jack, go ahead and start it off. Yeah, listen, first let me say, I started off as a big LeBron James fan, but he's starting to wear on me. Now, after that, he was just fined $15,000 by the league because he flipped a bird. He may not have seen gesture towards a fan. Right. And the league let him know that's not acceptable. We were talking about money a little while ago, $15,000. LeBron could well afford $15,000. I think his net worth is approaching a billion dollars or something like that. Okay. So he could well, so $15,000 is really a slap on the wrist to LeBron. But 
it's more than about LeBron himself. I mean, LeBron still is the biggest name in basketball, maybe the biggest name in sports, arguably, okay? And I know as a fan, when I get tickets to a game, I'm focusing on that game. Unless you go on a constant level, what, who's the team, which are the players? And I've gotten tickets before to see the Nets play, you know, whatever team LeBron is on, be it Cleveland or Miami. I focused on that game. I remember going to the Prudential Center to get tickets to see the Mets play the Miami Heat because I wanted to see LeBron James play. And even though myself and my friends, when they got to the game, they didn't appreciate the seat in the boondocks all the way up there. I said, but to see LeBron, this is what we have to do. It cost a lot of money to be in the boondocks. They thought for what they were paying, they'd be down a lot lower, but the prices get raised for certain teams, you know, in the NBA. Why LeBron's next game was at Madison Square Garden, guys. Why punish all those people who paid their money to see LeBron James play, okay? Hold them out for a Laker game, a home game, because they see him all the time. There are 41 home games, 41 away games. The people in L.A. can see LeBron play anytime, as long as they can get tickets to the event. But the people at the Garden, what does he show up there once a year or whatever? And don't punish them. That's my point. It's more than about LeBron James. Now, you can hold off the suspension and you can ask him to write you a memo why he shouldn't be suspended or with the hearing or say you're studying it out a little more. You know, you could delay it a week or you could just be honest, you know. It wouldn't be fair to the people at Madison Square Garden, but he still it's, it has the same punishment on LeBron. He misses a game. You know, bottom line, whether it should be one game or more, bottom line, you make a miss the game. Don't punish the fans who specifically got their tickets to see him play. Think of the empty feeling. You're now showing up and LeBron James can't play. He's not injured because you're suspending him, you know, for visiting, not any visiting game. Okay, I wouldn't suspend a, a mega superstar. I'd suspend them for the home game. What do you think, Doc? Yeah, I have to disagree. I, I think when a player makes an infraction, you have to suspend them. The suspension has to be immediate. And I, I don't like baseball does this a lot where they hold off suspensions and things like that. And I, I just think it it manipulates the sport. So LeBron gets to play in, in Madison Square Garden. And then his next game he sits out, but how does that impact? So the so the Knicks then lose that game because they're playing against a mega superstar. And what if the Knicks Knicks lose the the division or the or the pennant by they don't call it a pennant in basketball, but whatever uh, by one game or or in any sport? Well, listen, Tom Brady can only get suspended if the when the when the uh, Buccaneers are playing at home. I, I I don't buy the argument, and I think that sets up all these other things like hey. I could act much more poorly when I'm playing on the road than I can at home because I know I can't get suspended for any of these games and I can do whatever I want and and then, you know, get, get kicked out and get, face a suspension, but it won't be till I get home. And and the argument that the Nick fans suffer, I, I understand that to a point, but I'm sure there's a percentage of the fans in the L.A. area um, who get to go to one game a year or maybe one game in their life. And that was the game they were going to go see. And they were going to go get to see their superstar favorite player, LeBron. And they don't get to see him because 
they held off the suspension. So my, my feeling is for the integrity of the sport, for the integrity of the um, division and the competition, when there's a suspension, the suspension should be immediate. It, they shouldn't manipulate it because it, uh, it just opens it up to too many other questions and concerns and, and unfairness. And good points both ways. I mean, I understand what Jack's saying, and you too, definitely, Doc. See, when it comes to LeBron James, I have I, – I wish they suspended him for five games or ten games. I, I'll tell you right now, they have been letting LeBron James get away with stuff forever in the NBA since he came out of high school. I mean, they, they built this man up to be uh, the greatest. He is one of the top four of all time. But I'll tell you what, right now, he's gotten benefit of calls – He's gotten fans kicked out of games because they said something he didn't like. About time he got fined. I, I'm glad he got the price is not nearly enough. He thinks he's an ambassador of basketball, and he's not. He's not even close to that. LeBron James talks way too much about politics, talks way too much about social issues. And for some reason, people that get rich think that their opinion is right or more important than others. And I'm going to tell you right now, guys, and I believe this. He will go down as one of the best basketball players in NBA history, but he won't go down as one of the most respected basketball players in NBA history. He will never be a Michael Jordan. He will never get the respect that Dr. J, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, any of these great players got. When they look back at LeBron James, they're not going to just be looking at his numbers. They're going to be looking at a lot of things. Because when we look at Michael Jordan, we don't just look at how great a player he was. We look at his image. We look at Kobe Bryant's image. They were true professionals. They played basketball. They said what they had to say, but they weren't standing on the podium every other weekend. When we look at Larry Bird, we look at a great basketball player. And 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 LeBron James right now, Jack, as you say, you're, you're getting fed up with him. I've been fed up with him for a long time. He plays in soft basketball. He doesn't play back when these guys really played physical basketball. He gets all the calls. He gets all the privileges. He's constantly whining. And oh, as man. a superstar, like, you know, should have a certain dignity, dignity there. And like, he's now even getting into it with the fans. I, mean, I know. I see on. it. It's ridiculous. I mean, he thinks that he owns what he's, what he, that court he plays on. And it's become ridiculous. One of the greatest basketball players, no doubt. Listen, guys, you know what integrity of the game doc mentioned? Back in the day, there would have been something we would have debated tremendous. It would have been a great debate with Hank Aaron when he tied uh, Babe Ruth with the 714th homer. He hit it at Cincinnati. They wanted to hold him out so he could break the record in Atlanta but the commissioner, Bowie Kuhn, insisted he play in Cincinnati for the integrity of the game. And I think he had one at bat or something the next game, like a token thing. And for all we know, Hank Aaron might not have even been trying to hit a home run, for all we know. Because Hank Aaron himself was upset. He wanted to break the record in Atlanta. Great question. That's where he played his career for the Braves. I mean, should Hank Aaron have been uh, this is an old story so it's old news already but should he have been allowed to sit out did the commissioner Bowie Kuhn do the right thing and he was doing it for integrity of the game I think so I think you 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 the player should play I it, you know Jeter when he was going for 3,000 that part of the big deal was I think the Yankees were going on a road trip 
And if he didn't get it on that game, I think the, the idea was he was going to get it away from home. And okay, Doc, but let me ask you this. Let's say they were on the road and Jeter had uh, 2,999 hits and they were at Toronto. And the Yankees decided, wow, they're going home. One, They have one more game on the road and they're holding Jeter out for that game. Should the Yankees have been forced to play Derek Jeter in Toronto where there's a good chance he'd get his 3,000 hit to hold him out for Yankee Stadium? All right, so so two thoughts. One, again, I think the integrity of the sport means that the individual statistic does not trump the fact that the game that's being played needs to be the best players on the field, regardless of, I mean, you have to take into account injuries and typical days of rest, but I wouldn't say the Yankees should have a right to sit a guy just so we could try to get the record at home. But if I were Derek Jeter, I wouldn't put that to chance. I mean, anything could happen, right? And and like, oh, I'm, I, I mean, we've seen tragedies happen with with sports stars i wouldn't say i'm gonna wait three days and try to get the hit in three days who knows what can happen so i would have i would have said to the manager i'm playing and i'm gonna get my 3,000th hit in toronto or i'm gonna get it in milwaukee or wherever it is i it, i just don't think you should hold guys off just because they have but to if he wanted home. to be held off you're saying if you were derek jeter but if derek jeter wanted to sit out one game so he could do it at the stadium I no mean, i think that i i think baseball would should say all things being equal, he should play. There you go. There you go. Doc, Doc, if you had tickets for the game, his first game back, the I, next I, game, well, that I, was- I, I, well, well, well. Um, my dad is probably the biggest Ted Williams fan ever, ever, ever. He loves Ted Williams. Again, I grew up rooting for the Yankees, but loving the Red Sox and loving Ted Williams because of my dad. And my dad had tickets for Ted's last game mm. in Yankee Stadium, but Ted hit a home run on his last at-bat in Fenway and bowed out. And uh, yeah. he deprived my dad of a chance of, I mean, he made a legend. Ted's last at-bat was a homer, but but he deprived my dad a chance to see him play in his last game. Mm-hmm. Too bad, too bad. So we're going to get on to our last debate topic, folks. And there's a few people that are on their on their last, day, last year eligibility. Bonds and Clements are two of those. And, of course, they're, they're associated with the steroids. And the question is, should they be put in the Hall of Fame? I mean, get it over with, put them in. And and people have heard me on the show before say, I think they should put them all in, right? I'd, I'd put them in an in a, in a area somewhere, put the story with them, bring them in, and let the, let the people that go visit the museum or whatever uh, the place is called, uh, the Hall of Fame itself, I guess it's a museum, go and check it out, read the stories, read the stats, make their own decisions. But I'm going to make the argument for no. And I, I think it's a pretty good argument. So, cheaters in any area, should they be able to stand next to people who didn't cheat and had all these records? Suppose you're taking a test and you're going to school. Doc is the principal. Jack, you're the teacher. I take a test. I know I can get a B on it. I'm a good student. I know I'm going to get a B, but I want an A. So I cheat. I copy off somebody else's paper. Now, you both know I've been getting Bs all year. I'm a good straight B student. I'm knowledgeable. I know I know the, the, the subject. But I want that A in the last quarter. I want to finish off as an A student. And you find out about it. And you say, well, 
you're a good student. You're a B student. I mean, you, 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 you get high marks. You're one of the best students in the class. So why not? I mean, I'll put you up against the guys and, and give you an A anyway with the, with the two other people in class got the A because maybe I got a B and they got a C in one term, but they worked their tail off. They didn't cheat. They got an A, but I cheated off one of their papers and I got an A. I don't think that would fly, right? I don't think you two would, would say yes to that. I don't think you got what you got. So if we're not going to do that in school, if we're not going to do that in work, if, if you're a great company and you make millions of dollars and another company makes millions of dollars, but you don't pay your taxes or you get some insider information, helps you get as much money as them, even though you're a great company, you only make money. You want to make as much money as the big companies. Would you go for that? Probably not. You'd probably say, hey, listen, they got to pay their taxes like everybody else. You know, they can't they can't benefit for insider trading to make money. That's against the law. That's against the rules. So what makes these guys any different? You're not just going in the, with your peers. You're going in the, a place that has the greatest of greats. You're going in there with the Willie Mazes. You're going in there with the Babe Ruths. You're going in there with people who legitimately, from what we know, did this without any help at all. So does Barry Bonds get the benefit, even though he was a great player, right? Barry Bonds would probably end up all of fame anyway, but he wanted to be the greatest of the greats. He wanted to be up there with Hank Aaron and Willie Mays, and he wasn't. So he cheats. He takes steroids and some performance-enhancing thing, and so he breaks some records, And but we all know that he didn't do it naturally. So what do we say to Hank Aaron and what do we say to Willie Mays? We say he belongs there with you? You think that's right? So while I said on the show, I think it's all to do about nothing and that that maybe they should be let it in. But there is good reason that they're not in there and that they haven't been voted in. Do you put them alongside Mickey Mantle? Do you put them alongside Ted Williams? Do you put them alongside Stan the Man Musial? Do you do that with a good conscience? I don't know. So maybe maybe we shouldn't just say, yeah, go ahead, do it. Do it. What the heck? Let, let's put the stories in. Do they deserve to be there? I don't know, Jack. What do you think? Well, the Hall of Fame is really going to get tested this year because Big Poppy David Ortiz has been under suspicion. I'm not giving my own opinion on it, but he has been under suspicion in some quarters. So if you let in Big Poppy, who's uh, based on performance, the type of hitter he was, what he's meant to the Red Sox, you know, their World Series championships. Big Poppy is a Hall of Famer based on performance. I think we can all agree on that. And if Big Poppy gets in, now the question is going to be, well, what about the other guys? If Big Poppy doesn't get in, I think there might be a riot in Boston. I mean, he's... He's as loved as Ted Williams was supposedly, you know, in Boston. So that's going to be very, very interesting. Let me throw this at you guys. Let's say that he allowed in Bonds and Clemens uh, into the Hall of Fame. They would have, the induction would have been delayed for 10 years. So in a, in a way, that's like they served the sentence. They were deprived of 10 years out of their life of having the joy of being a Hall of Famer. And not only deprived of that, but there was a certain mental anguish they would have 
undergone by not every year not being a Hall of Famer, the way it would have aided them. So in a way, they were punished. Listen, I vote, I'm a voter for the International Boxing Hall of Fame, and I'm a bit of a hypocrite the way I vote because there's one fight in particular whose name who got inducted, but I had contempt for him. I wouldn't vote for him because he was a steroid user. He was a cheater. But there were other guys, you know, who were caught or who, if they weren't exactly caught, you knew they were on it beyond the shadow of a doubt. Yet I voted for those guys because they were so great, you know, over their career. So in boxing, there's a different standard than in baseball. Uh, but my feeling is, yeah, I'm at the point, listen, Bud Sealing, the commissioner who had to oversee the steroid era, he's in the Hall of Fame. That's absurd that Bud's ceiling should be in, but no Roger Clemens, no Barry Bonds. As far as Clemens goes, listen, the vast majority of people feel he was a steroid user, the vast majority, but it's never been proven evidence-wise per se. And Clemens even went to court to try to clear his name on this. Um, most people don't believe him, but, you know, you know, it's, it's what it is. He's been he's been kept out. Bonds has been kept out. There's going to be the A-Rod issue based on performance. You have these all-time major league teams. A-Rod might be on the all-time major league team as a shortstop, third baseman, or whatever, wherever else you want to put him. But he's going to be on the first or second team. And how do you keep these guys out after a while? I mean, uh, I can understand in the case of a Mark McGuire, his game was directly linked to home run hitting. Steroid use obviously impacts that. But I think Bonds, Clemens, it's been 10 years out of their life, okay, that they, they've suffered. I think the time is he put them in. And as far as Bonds goes, he set a major league record for walks. Did the steroids directly help him in that area. Maybe it made him feared as a power hitter. So I can understand he got intentional walks, but he had a darn good batting eye too, not to swing at bad pitches. So Doc, your your view on it. Well, I think you both sort of hit all of the arguments and I don't think there's, there's going to ever be a situation where people have consensus on this. One of my favorite writers is uh, Joe Poznanski and he just put out a, epic book called the baseball 100 which i highly recommend for everybody it's phenomenal he writes little biographies in in the way he writes which is just such a uh, uh an engaging style of writing for each of the top 100 players of all time according to his ranking and and, and in his own mind and he has some little quirks in the book throughout that are great the thing that i love about his barry bonds chapter is he said Listen, I'm not even going to argue the point. And he broke the chapter into little segments. And it's like, if you believe Bonds belongs in the Hall of Fame, read this paragraph. If you believe Bonds doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame, read this paragraph. And he, he advises the people in the introduction, skip the paragraphs of the ones you disagree with. I thought it was brilliant because he, he sort of makes both arguments in, 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 the, uh, in, the, in the piece and in the book. Listen, there are cheaters in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Gaylord Perry wrote a, wrote a book long before he ever got in the hall of fame called me and the spitter, uh, that whether or not he was cheating every game or just sometimes, or just pretending to that gave him an edge. 
He's in the Hall of Fame. He won over 300 games. That didn't keep him out. I think you make a great point with Bud Selig. If steroids were such a, and they are, I hate them, um, but but such a mark on the game, how do you elect the commissioner, the guy who oversaw that era, and say like, yeah, you can be a Hall of Famer. Well, the era wouldn't have been as successful if not for players like Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, and, and the rest of them who who brought so much interest to the game. That, that's why the game grew in large part. And that's why a lot of people looked the other way because everybody was enjoying all those home runs. So the commissioner oversaw all that. He gets in, but then the players who accomplished the things that made the commissioner famous don't. And along the same lines, a lot of those managers, or at least some of the managers who manage these guys are in the Hall of Fame, like Tony LaRussa. Like, well, wait a minute. You became successful because you managed the guys who were cheating. If they didn't cheat, you probably wouldn't have won, and then you wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. So I think the arguments go both ways. Um you know, and I think you make a great point with McGuire. McGuire was basically a one-dimensional hitter, and the steroids probably helped him accomplish certain numbers, which then make him seem Hall of Fame worthy. Clemens and Bonds, by most accounts, were great players long before they ever took or are suspected of taking steroids. So do you split their careers in half? And to be honest, I, again, I don't think there's a great answer there. Um I, I think there's a lot of inconsistencies. I think there's players in the Hall of Fame, baseball players who, who supposedly know, say, player X, Y, or Z is in the Hall of Fame, and that guy was a steroid guy, but he got in. Um, as you say, Roger Clemens, nobody's ever proved it. Uh, David Ortiz, you know, if he gets in, I'm just quickly looking. CBS Sports headline just on Google says, David Ortiz says his failed PED test. Okay, so so... Does he then not get into? And then you got the A-Rod question. It's really a mess. Uh, the, the more beautiful thing would have been if none of them ever cheated and we wouldn't be having this discussion year after year. But I also think your point about the 10 years that, the, you know, they've they've served in uh, in purgatory or whatever, they've, no. they've that's that's been a punishment. You've, you've had to wait all those years. So no one even talks about Rafael Palmero. I mean, who's. He certainly had the Hall of Fame credential. Yeah, 3,000 hits. I was telling Mac the one thing 600? you don't you don't do is wag your finger. That's what turned people off. I mean, more than anything. Sammy Sosa, I mean, should be a Hall of Famer. I mean, cork in his bath. I mean, it's a mess. You, you, know, you, know, guys, you, know, mess. you know, just finishing off with the devil's advocate, because you know I agree with you for the most part, both of you. Um, you know, spitballs and steroids are two different things, right? That's that's a totally different argument. Steroids were not only meant to increase your power, but your injury uh, recovery. This is what steroids was really used for. When you're tired, you take them. And, and when you're injured, you take them. And you come back better and stronger and faster than most things. So when you look at – it's just funny. When you look at somebody like DiMaggio and Williams, who not only – are better ball players than all of those put together, I think, in my opinion, but went to war for three years and, and lost part of their career and still made the Hall of Fame. But yet we're going to say Big Poppy, who was a doubles hitter, all of a sudden hit, starts hitting home runs. He fails a PED test, but there's no real proof. He's got a great personality. Well, I didn't know a great personality got you in the Hall of Fame because Jack would be in the Baseball Hall of Fame right now if it was great personalities, right? So I don't think that really has anything to do with it. The only thing I got to say is we're talking peers 
versus true legends in baseball. And if you really believe Barry Bonds and Roger Clements, if Roger Clements, if you believe Roger Clements is as good as Sandy Koufax, put him in without steroids. Put him in. I don't think he was. If you think Barry Bonds was better than Hank Aaron without steroids or better than Willie Mays without steroids, put him in. I agree. I don't know if he was. And that's the only problem. The question, I got. the question isn't, is he better than Barry Bond? Is he better than Hank Aaron or Willie Mays? Well, he right? The question becomes, but he broke their is, record. Is, 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 well, no, no, no. Uh, is he better than Kiki Kyler? Is he better than Harold true. Baines? True. Uh, is he better true. than Kirby Puckett? True. Yeah, that's a good point. They're better than those guys. And those guys are in. True. True. Well, even in the case of Mike Piazza, it took him till his fourth year to get inducted. And because there was suspicion with steroids, Piazza was a should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer based on performance, maybe the greatest hitting catcher in history, perhaps. But, you know, it was as if the voters needed time to decide on him, you know. So, hey, Doc, again, Doc said it best. The whole thing is a absolute mess, you know. Mm -hmm. from, yeah. Going down from Pete Rose, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and just very quickly, what about the racist ball players who may have been Hall of Famers in the 20s and 30s who prohibited African-American players from making it to the big leagues. And maybe they wouldn't have performed as great if the major leagues was open to everyone. I mean, I could play that devil's advocate. No, you can, you can all as well. There's so many different elements to look at. Of course, of course. And that's, you know, as I said in previous shows, just put them in. They didn't have to hit against Satchel Page during his prime. I mean, well, that's true. Satchel, Satchel Page did not have to pitch against Mickey Mantle and did not have to pitch against Joe DiMaggio in his prime too. So that argument could go both. Mick ways. and the Clipper would have hit anyone. I agree. Right. On that. So that, so that, so that, <laughs> that argument could go both ways too. So yeah. Anyway, folks, I want to thank you for joining us for the Mac and Jack Debate Show here every Saturday, or if eight to ten a.m. You're you're up early on Saturday. Check us out tomorrow. We got the big football show where we have our co-host, two-time Super Bowl champion legend, Dallas Cowboy legend Jim Jeffcoat. We have the Patriots preview. We have the Jets preview. We have the Philadelphia Eagles preview. And we also got Robert Butler. Busy show on Sunday. Cover all the games. Check us out if, when you can. And Monday again, check out Glove Fist with Jack Hirsch and Frank Lotirzo. And start spreading the news with Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. Paul E.J. Fagan as they cover the Yankees. Again, have a great Saturday, folks, and we'll see you tomorrow on the Big Football Show.